0: hi i'm jake parker and this is my podcast beyond fit my goal is to help you live a happier and healthier life by providing actionable knowledge and advice about a wide range of health and fitness topics you can find me most active on instagram at jakeparker.fit if you want to connect or just see what i'm up to Hi guys, welcome back to the beyond fit podcast. This is your host, Jake Parker. Today, my guest is Eric Roberge and his podcast is called beyond finances. And as we were just talking before the show started, I found his podcast, funny enough, just searching for my own. And as I shared personal finances and just finance in general has always been of interest to me. Um, Ever since going into college, like I was telling Eric, I I didn't uh, wind up majoring in finance in my undergrad, but the thing that really interests me the most these days about finance is the personal side and the more anecdotal and pragmatic side of finances and especially the fact that it's so similar to fitness in a lot of ways where it seems like most people have a general idea of what they should do. But where a lot of the big problems lie is in compliance and in really just getting down to doing something about your situation, whether that be saving money, paying off debt. To me, that's so similar to, okay, I know I need to do something. I know I need to eat healthier or get started on some sort of exercise routine. So I thought that uh, in addition to a couple specific topics that I mentioned to Eric, we could kind of begin the discussion on just why are fitness and finance related and how does it look when you intake a customer or a client? Because I'm sure that obviously they're already focused on their situation, but what do you see as some of the main barriers to someone who just needs to save more money, needs to get out of debt, needs to put some sort of a plan together?
1: Well, I'd say the, the biggest thing that makes finance and uh, fitness similar is that there's a lot of noise out there. Right. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things about fitness and finance. And you really have to understand what's factual and what's not, what's an opinion, what's anecdotal, and what's actually done, you know, proven by research. So there's a lot of the similarities there. And the other big similarity is, like you said in your opening, the repetition. It's not that you're going to do one thing one time and amazingly you're going to have the, you know, the world's best body.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going
1: to do you know, one great investment and have the world's most wealth. It's Mm -hmm. it's that repetition over and over again that you need to put in place. And, you know, sometimes you're going to wake up and you're not going to feel great about it, but you're going to do it anyway. Money and fitness both go hand in hand in that same Mm -hmm.
0: realm. Yeah, an interesting topic I've been trying to focus more on is I'm a really big fan of the author, Robert Greene. And first book I read of his was Mastery. And he talks a lot about intuition in that book and i have been thinking a lot about intuition in the sense that really it's just accumulation of making smart choices over time and seeing how you know these choices play out either when you pay really close attention to it or even not you kind of get a sense of okay i I do this for a certain period of time and this happens and this can be positive or negative but hopefully if you're focused on accumulation of good habits you see eventually you start to see what makes sense and Like for example, you know, a lot of people can get in great shape by just going to the gym five days a week. And a lot of people can get in great financial shape by just committing to, I'm going to put away this percentage of my money. or I'm going to put this dollar amount away per week or away per week. And so I think that one of the interesting things that you kind of touched on there is people are so focused on the best thing, the most optimal thing. And I, I was checking out some of your guys' recent podcasts. And I think this was a topic where you said that even a non-optimal action or even a poorly structured action is better than just not doing anything. And it's more relevant than ever these days when we have the internet and we're subject to so much different information. It's like, oh, you know, this, like you said, this is the best investment. This is the best way to put away money. Whereas if you just sift through the noise and do something, it doesn't really matter if it's optimal or not, but you'll start to make progress. And then hopefully through that, you'll start to
1: figure out what the best way is for you to move forward. That's so true because there's so many people in finance that say, well, how much money should I have for an emergency reserve account? Or how much money should I be saving every year? And the answer is, it depends. And then I ask them, well, how much money do you have in savings? And if, and if someone says, well, a hundred dollars, I said, you should save more than that. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand that if you have a little bit more is going to be better. And then once you start that process of building more, then you can hone in on the exact amount that you might need. But if you're starting well behind what you need to do, then you need to just start. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not gonna have to, you don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be optimal. It has to be something that you're doing. So mm-hmm. saving that money every single week, to, to build up your emergency reserve account would be a great start. And then once you get going, maybe then you look at having three to six months of your average monthly expenses set aside depending on your situation. Mm-hmm. And I like-
0: think the really tough thing is it's such an emotional topic, both fitness and finances. And like I've worked in a lot of gyms and I'm always surprised, well, I guess it's not necessarily surprising, but it's always very visceral when you bring in a client who's maybe starting from scratch or hasn't worked out in a long time and they're very afraid to like see how much they weigh or look at uh, some sort of like a scan of their body fat or anything like that. And I think it's kind of the same way with finances. People just want to duck their head and look away. And that awareness is really the first step. But I think that, that, that you have to get over that visceral reaction of it's such a personal and emotional thing because the more realistic you are, the more you can start to get down to business and really work through things, not just bury your head in the
1: sand. That's really important. And and it is an emotional topic, whether it is fitness or, or money, looking at your personal situation, a lot of times people aren't always that open about it or they don't want to see what's actually going on because then they have to deal with the reality that they find themselves in. But just like building a house, you can't not understand what the ground is made of before building the house to set a solid foundation. So whether it's sand or rock or dirt, like you're gonna to have to do different things to build that foundation. But until you know what it is, you can't do a thing. Same thing with money. If someone comes to me and says, I need help with finances, I say, let's look at what your financial foundation is now. And by financial foundation, for me, that's understanding cash flow, what's coming in, what's going out, and also understanding your balance sheet, which is what you have in assets and liabilities, because those things give me a, a good general read about how things are flowing today. And there really is no wrong or right about it. It's just what's going on now. And by saying what's going on now, we can identify what the foundation looks like, where the holes might be, and start to build something really strong. Mm -hmm. So on your website,
0: you talk about the fact that your main avatar for a client is someone who's at a certain place of success professionally and financially. And so I'm curious, some of these things that we're touching on here that are like the, the base ground or the really high arching things, do you have to address these with people or is it really usually a situation where it's more about optimizing and you meet people at like a high level of financial literacy already coming in?
1: For everybody, we look at all of that and we figure out where they are we also figure out what they know, what they don't know and where they're comfortable and where they're not. And also where they think their pain points are. Mm-hmm. Because all of that information is going to help me give the best advice. Because one person might be worried about retirement and another person might be worrying about saving up for their kid's college. Another person might be worried about buying a house. All those things probably happen throughout life for everybody. If you have a family and you're, and you're, you know, going to work and you're going to live somewhere, you need all the things, Mm -hmm. Uh, but some might be more important than others for certain people in certain situations. And then therefore the advice has to be geared towards their priorities specifically. So um, I would say that based on my clientele, I mean, they're making really good money at this point. They're making $300,000 or more as a household. Mm -hmm. And that means they have a lot of savings power, but just like anything else, if you don't use that savings power effectively, you just waste it. Right? You can have a lot of savings power and just spend all of your money. And therefore, your, your high income allows you to live really well right now, but it doesn't allow you to grow wealth for tomorrow or be secure in the future. Some people will come in with a, with a very honed process for themselves. They have a great savings rate. And then we start to take it up another level to really build a strategy behind that, while others will come in and say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saving right now. and We have to start a little bit further back to get them to where they need to go yeah the most the most tangible
0: thing to me when it comes to finances i you know for whatever reason what, what something that I'm really drawn to is like taking a kind of an objective and outside look at society and i've thought a lot about as being in my mid twenties how i i, I don't want to be someone who just gets pushed and pulled around by oh society tells you to buy this, buy a house, you know, get married early, buy x, y, or z new thing that's out there, and a lot of the sort of books that i've read about finance and ways that i look at it is obviously some um bias to where of course i look at things that agree with my you know with my viewpoint but like one of the first books i read rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki he talks about um the fact that you know you can be rich you can have a lot of money coming in but if you have more money going out then you're really not any better off from someone who makes half of what you make or a fourth of what you make or whatever. So finding that balance of income versus what you're spending is obviously the, is obviously the most important thing no matter if you make a million dollars or if you make you know $30,000, right? Is the first
1: thing that you're, that you're looking at there? Exactly, you're right. Because if, no matter how much money you're making, if you spend all of it, you're no better off than the person who makes less money than you. So if if your true goal is to build that flexibility and choice and security into your financial life, then you need to be saving the top of that, that income. I mean, income comes in, segment out your savings, and the savings amount going to depend on how many goals you might have and how big those goals might be, but then everything else can be spent. So a lot of times people will spend first and then save later, meaning it's a coin flip on whether they actually have money at the end of the month to save mm-hmm. because they may have spent it all and they have no tracking system. So they don't know. And it's just by chance that they either have money left over or they don't. And if you're going to leave your savings strategy up to chance, then you might as well not even save.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, Robert Kiyosaki in that book. He really tries to hammer in pay yourself first. So if it's like, you know, you're, 10% or 20% savings rate, whatever you want to set the goal as, if that's one of the first things that comes out of your budget every month, you have no choice but to adjust in other areas that are probably more flexible. Like a good example for me is I do try to budget monthly. And if I have a month where there's more income coming in, maybe getting getting to do things like, oh, maybe I'll have a couple more stakes as opposed to ground beef for like just little things like that, just little keys that I can kind of turn. Um, but always trying to make sure that the... Investing and the saving is something that happens first and foremost so that I know that that's locked in at the beginning of the month and something that I don't negotiate on
1: Yeah, no, I mean just your simple example there of, of ground beef versus steak I mean to some people might that might sound arbitrary or or you know, just but that's not really like a a Big deal for anybody. So we shouldn't focus on those types of things mm-hmm. yet. I bet the experience of ground beef versus steak, if you're really focused on it and you're being present to the situation, you might really enjoy the steak. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to cost you a million dollars to have an experience that you enjoy. It might cost a little bit more than the norm, but but it's taking those tiny little things, focusing on the value that you're getting from that, focusing on the experience you're having while you're doing it, eating the steak, mm-hmm. is really important, right? So. So understanding what you value in life and the experiences that you really want to have and then backing into what money you need to support those things is hugely important. And that really drives the entire plan. And that's why every plan is different from one person to the next because everybody has their own values. Everybody has their own things that they want to experience. As long as you're not just going with societal norms because you think you have to, you can hone in on your own. And, and that's mm-hmm. really an important thing. Yeah, the
0: the biggest tangible thing to me is I just, I very much like, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Jocko Willink, but he's he, write, he wrote the book Discipline Equals Freedom. And I love to try to think about that in terms of my finances, because it's not like I, I make a ton of money, but I make enough where I have everything that I need and more. And I like the example that you give there, the point you touched on of, you know, really enjoying and savoring experiences, because... I think especially now another problem with I see see with people my age is there's just too much out there that first of all, on social media, you can always be seeing what someone else is doing and enjoying and that might make you jealous. And then in addition to that, when it comes to you know, relaxing and enjoying something like for a lot of people, it's, you know, watching a movie, watching a TV show. And I try to be intentional in everything that I do. So what that looks like is instead of just, you know, watching Netflix every night, and not really being intentional about what I watch just watching whatever comes to mind. I like to, you know, think about what movie I want to watch, when I want to sit down and kind of create a better environment and do that once a week. And I feel like I get so much more out of that situation and so much more relaxation than just passively, oh, I can just sit down and turn something on. I think that intention can really go into every area of your life, even when it comes down to something like taking time to yourself and relaxing.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I was just, when you were saying that, I was just thinking, you know, what's my favorite time of the week? It's Friday afternoon when we're wrapping up work and Kaylee and I can sit down and, and maybe have a beer or wine or whatever mm-hmm. and just relax a little bit. Like it costs mm-hmm. next to nothing to do that. And although some people might say, the end of the week, I really want to let off steam and go out to a, a bar or a restaurant and spend 150, 200 bucks, that I, don't get, I don't extract that same value from that. So I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that. Now, there may be times throughout the year that that makes sense because we have a social setting where we're seeing friends and we're going to come together. And, and obviously in COVID times, it's a little different, but mm-hmm. we're spending a little bit more to gain that experience that is greater because of the company that we have and, and, and who we're with. That's fine. But doing it every Friday because we think we have to blow off steam because we work so hard during the week, that's wasteful to me. Mm-hmm yeah it's kind of all about temperance
0: like i've had discussions before about how everything is kind of on a bell curve with like if you look at like you say with drinking a beer so like alcohol i enjoy having a couple drinks a week but i think that there's a very fine bell curve where it's like not that you're missing anything if you don't drink, but like having a few drinks a week is the middle of the bell curve. But you know, you you go over that, you start getting drunk multiple nights a week. That presents different health problems and other interpersonal problems. And you go to that right side of the bell curve where there's problems. And I think that in the same way you can look at like going out to eat. And, you know, from from the sense of like the financial part of it and just the health sense of it. If you go out and have a really tasty meal, that's not necessarily healthy, but you're eating healthy most of the rest of the time, you're going to fit right in the middle of that bell curve where it's okay. So 80% of the time I'm doing the right thing as far as uh, my eating routine. So this meal isn't going to take me completely off track. And on the financial side, It's like, okay, well, just because I'm spending a lot of money on this meal once a month, I'm saving money and doing the smart things I need to the rest of the time. So I fall in the middle of that bell curve. I think that's something to be aware of. And just to note that like everything in life, I think, is most enjoyable with temperance. You wouldn't want to just have everything to the maximum every single day or it would lose its value.
1: Yeah, I believe that 100%. I think it takes it takes some assessing your own thoughts and feelings to understand that. I mean, for yourself, right? Like someone saying that if you had just said that, and I had never thought about that before, I might say, that sounds nice, but not mm-hmm. for me, but, but knowing me and, and really being intentional myself about a lot of things and thoughtful about what I do and how things make me feel um, that has helped me come up with that same opinion where, um, you know, it, it it really matters what, what we're doing, um, and, and how we're doing it. Um, and, and as long as, again, I can continue to extract the the value from the experience that I am looking for. It doesn't always have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be story worthy that I can tell Mm -hmm. all my friends that I did this thing. It just has to mean that I had a really good time. I was able to relax and just enjoy the moment, whatever that moment is.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, another person that I really like to follow in the in the personal finance world is Ramit Sethi. And he, he has his book, I will teach you to be rich. And one of the big concepts behind that is just what is your rich life. So if you don't really get much enjoyment out of going out and having a fancy dinner, then try to cut it out most of the time. But if once a week that brings you a ton of value, for whatever reason, you're interested in, you know, some part of the culture of food or wine or you really like to get together with a good group of friends, then that has a lot of personal utility. And another example of that, like for me, because I am so interested in my own health and fitness, I get some personal enjoyment out of spending more money than someone tech, uh, traditionally would on, whether it be like supplements or workout equipment. But that's not to say that you can't, again, with the 80-20 example, get – most of the results just from having a minimalist approach of maybe you just do workouts at home, you you know, you keep it that minimal, which a lot of people are having to do right now. But just for the example of, okay, you know, I don't have any special supplements or any special routines or gear, or it's just that I do the, what I need to do 80% of the time. Again, you know, I love the 80-20 principle and that does it for me. Or, you know, whereas someone, I think there's just a lot of different areas where someone might like you say, be intentional about putting more effort or more finances more money in this case
1: yeah, I mean this the eighty twenty rule is is a nice one to follow because it gives you that buffer room the the eighty percent may be like you're on eighty percent of the time you're you're pushing hard and, and really um giving all you have eighty percent of the time, but then there's that twenty percent where you don't have to be on and pushing and more, and more, more, go, go, go. Because if someone's going 100 miles an hour all the time, it's probably not healthy, right, for them personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and they probably will end up failing because no one can go that fast for that long without blowing a gasket, right, mm-hmm. mental or otherwise. So it really is important to have, I don't want I say balance, but I don't mean like equal weighted 50-50 balance. Mm-hmm. I just mean the that your carpent compartmentalizing things in a way that you know when to be on you know when Mm -hmm. you need to push hard and for for me i get really a lot of motivation at working hard and pushing hard but i also know that i'm not going to do it all the time Mm -hmm. and that that i need that 20 percent buffer room to say all right not now
0: Mm -hmm. and i think that there is some balance in imbalance almost where if you know that okay I have to sprint for this period of time. I really have to work hard to accomplish this project or whatever goal it is that you're pushing on. And because I think 80, 20 doesn't always necessarily mean, especially in the world of entrepreneurship, you're where you're doing the same exact thing day in and day out. You have a balanced work day. It might mean that you have some really long days, but because you get to do that, you, it also pays off with having a lot more, you know long periods of free time to go on vacations or do whatever else it is that you want to do because you really pushed it extra hard for a certain period of time
1: yeah i mean it's, it's about optimization and efficiency from from my perspective that's what we always focus on with with our clients because most of my clients are are really smart and a lot of them can do what we tell them to do on their own Like They could go out and research and read and understand and trial through trial and error, probably come up with a way that they could really build their financial plan and stay with it day in and day out. Um, But for someone to either have enough time to do that and desire to do that without any guidance, without any accountability from the outside world, um, and also being at risk of not knowing what they don't know and therefore can't even research because you can't ask a question about what you don't know you don't know. All those things contribute to them saying, Eric, I'm reaching out to you because I value expert advice and I want that support, that outside third-party objective viewpoint to help me get to where I want to go. I mean, it's the reason that so many great athletes have great coaches. It's not Mm -hmm. that they are so great that they don't need a coach anymore. And it's not that the coach is going to teach them something that they don't know. It just together they work more powerfully than if they were separate and it just works well. And that's why having that coach, whether it's a through a personal trainer or um, a financial planner or any, anything that you want to optimize, I think bring in that coach that you can jive with and, and appreciate and, and work well together with is so, so valuable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the accountability is the biggest key too. like, you know, <clears throat> for example, a successful business person may know, that exercise, getting exercise on a regular basis is something they need to do. They know all the reasons that it's good, but maybe they can't push themselves to, you know, put together a workout plan or get to the gym consistently unless they have a trainer or some sort of a coach that holds them accountable. It's having someone just to push you a little bit and to keep you, hey, you know, are you doing this? Make sure we're doing this, this, and this, helps people from having another, you know, just loop that goes around in their head of, oh, I need to work out, I need to do this, where if you have someone helping you out in that way, it just automates it.
1: Yeah, it's it's true. And a lot of times too, people might think, and uh, financially responsible people might even think that, well, I can do it cheaper, right? Mm -hmm, Let me figure mm -hmm. out how to do it the cheapest way possible. And I would argue that that's not always the best way to go, right? If you, you, yes, you can DIY it. You could probably do things super cheap But that comes with its own risks too, right? Like I just bought a a ladder for the house and it was like $350, 28 foot um, fiberglass ladder. And I could have gotten one that was like 150 bucks and it was just all aluminum. But I'm like, you know what? It's a ladder and I'm gonna be 28 foot in the air. Mm -hmm. I probably should have the best thing out there. Let me just get that in this category. That doesn't mean I maximize the, the most expensive thing in every single category, but where it counts, I want to be able to pay a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So in that Mm -hmm. case it was for safety. Um, in, in the case of a financial planner or personal trainer, it's, it's because you want to, um, be better in that category and paying money out in order to be better in that category is worth your while. And therefore that means it's valuable. Mm -hmm. As long as the value exchange on both sides, works, you know, the the person who is charging is receiving what they think that they're worth as far as the service that they're giving. And the person that's paying feels like they're getting the knowledge and the systems in place that they really value. If that is equal, everybody wins. And and that's more how I would look at it than saying, well, let's really go down to the bottom level of cost and try to figure out how to do it for free or Mm -hmm. as cheaply as possible in all the categories in my life.
0: Yeah, I think that those hidden costs are, or, or just the more intangible costs are one of the most interesting things because I remember it brings to mind the story that a friend was telling me how he had started this business after college and he's about 10 years older than me and uh, has started this business after college and was still paying this uh, business coach about a year after he'd sold the business and was looking to just get a, a job within a company and told me the story about how he met with his business coach before going into an interview and talked about the uh, salary he was going to ask for and without some of that objective perspective of what's the lowest you're going to go what are you going to say if they say this and the back and forth even though he was paying this person when he didn't have a job, he was still able to call on them when he was going into the salary negotiation and probably wind up getting more money. And then that's where it eventually paid off. Whereas if you were just looking at the X's and O's of his, you know, of his budget on a spreadsheet, you'd say, well, why are you still paying this guy? You know, you don't have your business anymore. But I think that we forget, you know, that there might be a big payoff for something that doesn't necessarily show on a day-to-day or month-to-month basis.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's where there's, there's some level of, of research and, and trust that you have to have going into the relationship because someone can't necessarily guarantee you that's going to happen, but you know that by what they know and the systems that they use that it's likely that those things will show up every now and then, right? Like if that coach was like, you know what? You should continue to work with me because I guarantee you I'm going to get you X amount more in salary than you would otherwise get. I would probably run from that person because Mm -hmm. they're guaranteeing something that they cannot guarantee, right? It's like me saying, I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to have X amount of money on your balance sheet by age 50. There's so many factors that change the outcome, whether they're my own coaching or it's actually something that happens to you that you didn't expect. Like there's just so many variables. So it's, it's more about understanding that you're putting yourself in the best position possible to have the best outcomes. And that's why you choose the coach or not. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I wanted to make sure we got to
0: is kind of in line with that. And so my question is, how do you look at things like investing in someone's personal growth or investing in a business versus having the black and white investments of, you know, in the stock market, in real estate, or just putting away money in savings? Because obviously it sounds like a lot of the people that you um, that are your clients are entrepreneurs, and so how do you look at reinvestment that can help make a business more money but is speculative excuse me speculative and more of a risk versus oh you know I can put this money into my uh, roth ira and it's going to grow x amount in x amount of years, but you you weigh that against well maybe if i invest in this marketing or advertising or some class that will make me a better entrepreneur. I could make, you know, 20 or 30 fold on that investment possibly in the future.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a challenging conversation, but one that everybody should consider because there's no one right answer. Just like a lot of things, there's no one right answer. It depends. Um, Cause a lot of my clients, although some of them are business owners, a lot of them are just like in tech or doctors, mm. lawyers, just things that where they're They're definitely, um, out there doing things that their actions are directly correlated with the results, right? They're in the positions where it's, it's, it's on them to do right to make things happen. So that, that can definitely translate into being an entrepreneur, of course. And when it comes down to it, um, if you're able to save consistently like 10% of your income or 20% of your income every single year, and your income is at $100,000, Um, So let's call it 20%. So you're saving 20 grand a year. That's great. But what if you took that 20 grand one year and invested in a course or some kind of coaching program or something that elevated your game so that now you're Mm -hmm. making $200,000 a year in a couple of years? Well, now 20% is 40 grand. So now go 10 years ahead, saving 40 grand and investing that versus 20 grand and look at the results. And it's just going to be so much bigger. So there's no guarantee for that, but you have to look at that as one way, as an investment in yourself to create the income that's more and allowing you to spend and save more money, growing your life exponentially. Um, And and then you got to compare that to, well, yes, it is still important to actually do the saving. And I can't be just spending 20 grand a year on coaching for five years and not getting anything out of it because then I could have saved 100 grand over that five years instead, and that would have been in a better position for me. So it's it's that give and take, that balance, but I think both are important at the right times.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Warren Buffett says that the best investment is an in investment in yourself. I think that it's my biggest personal hang up because oh, I think that I'm fortunate that I got exposed to the importance of investing. Uh, at a young age. And right when I got out of college, I knew that it was something I wanted to do to build in investing and saving on a month by month basis. Um, Largely thanks to like, my dad has always pushed that. And then also just, you know, I being very interested in people like Tim Ferriss and other people in the, in the finance sector that have always pushed the importance of investing and how compound interest can add up over time. And so where I get caught up a lot of times is like, you know, I've seen all the charts where it's like, you know, the more you invest now, the more it can compound in the future. And I'm like, I want to pay, put away the maximum amount of money so I can take advantage of compounding. But at the same time, I think that I forget that right now is the time where I'm able to learn the most because I don't have as many obligations as I will in the future. And I am the most open to new information and new systems of thinking that hopefully can, you know, just improve the way that I do business and the way that I just interact with people. And so I forget kind of like what you said, well, maybe, taking a little bit of money out of my investments or savings right now to learn some sort of skill or get some sort of coach that I value will make me that much more valuable in the future. Uh, and I think that it's, it's, it's hard for me to not always look at the black and white of, Oh, well, then I'm losing out on this money, but it's like, it's not necessarily losing out if you can build skills for yourself in the future.
1: Yeah. Right. And in, in making it even more real by saying, okay, if I take $5,000 out of my investments now and invest in this thing, it should improve my situation by, you know, doing X, Y, or Z for me, whatever that thing is for you in a certain amount of time. So then at that time, the goal would be to, you know, have the plan to have put that money back and then some for, you know, the the money you took out of the investment and then some. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, again, it could have been just a waste. So it's, It's saying, this is what's going to happen. This is the, I'm planning out what's supposed to happen. And if it doesn't, I know and identify that it didn't happen. And then I have to backtrack and reassess again. And that's what really financial planning is all about. It's it's doing things um, in a way that you build a process. The planning is a process. It's not a one-time event. Like there's a real problem with saying, this is how it is now. And then compounding that. This is how it is now, linearly, Mm for 20, 30, 40 years. Because just like when I show somebody an investment plan and say, this could be what happens in 20 or 30 years, and there's a range of outcomes, and it says, you could have a million dollars, you could have $200 million. like Mm -hmm. There's a huge range there, because it's a 30-year compounded um, assessment of what could happen. There's just too many variables there, and there's too much unknown, and we don't know what's gonna happen. So the best plan is one that is flexible, that you, you make a decision for now based on what you think the trajectory will be. And then you reassess next year based on what that new information is over the year that you gain and look again and make that same assessment. Now reposition and do another year and then reposition do another year. So you're tactically evolving, but you're making good decisions based on the knowledge that you have at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing
0: that I try to focus on and I would encourage people to focus on is just developing habits. And this is another way where finance and fitness is so similar, where it's like, maybe you're not always going to be able to exercise for an hour a day. But if you build a habit of I exercise every day, maybe every morning, that's something that can carry you through life. Or if you start to think about how not to spend all the money you make, Maybe when you're 25, it's $30,000, but maybe in 10, 20 years, it's $300,000. But you've you've built in that, okay, I I do not spend all the money I make. I invest in myself. I put away money in savings and investments, whatever it is. You can start small, even if, you know, like I'm sure there's people that are by age, are like, well, I don't have enough money to invest? Well, it's like just the habit of, even if you put away $50 a month, it's still gonna become part of like who you are and the routines you have and what you do on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah. 50 bucks is a perfect place to start, right? If, if mm-hmm. you have 25 bucks, start there, start somewhere, build that habit in. And, and one of the things that I was just thinking of when you said habits, I always think of anchoring. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. Habit, I was just thinking of that too. Yeah. There's a new habit. And, and the easiest one is, is flossing your teeth. Like mm-hmm. in the past, I didn't floss my teeth, but I always brush my teeth. So if I brush my teeth and I have the floss right next to the toothbrush, I see the floss, I'm going to floss my teeth after I do the thing that I know I will do. And that can work in so many places, whether it's budgeting, like if you have to pay a certain bill every month, when you pay that bill, you should have some easy way to access your, I don't know, your, your bank statement. And therefore, mm-hmm. you're, you're more apt to budget and look at where your spending was uh, because you did that thing that you know you're going to do. It's very important to anchor when you're building those new habits.
0: Mm-hmm. One of my, uh, have you ever read the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman? That's I've the it, one I always think of when I think of anchoring.
1: Yeah, through through
0: my wife. She re- read it and mm-hmm. talks about it all the time. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good book. But um, I was just thinking about how recently on a podcast, uh, one of my guests and I were talking about how lottery winners, like maybe 90% or more, usually end up losing all the money that they earn from the lottery. And I think that that's a good lesson. And it's a reason that I've said to people, like, you don't ever want to You know, not that there is a magic pill. I think that that's a discussion in and of itself, but you would never want a magic pill to get in shape. What's more valuable is learning how to get in shape and the different levers that get pulled and what works and what doesn't work. And I think it's the same way with finance. Like, yeah, it sounds great to win the lottery, but if you get that money and you have no idea how to make money or how to sustain money and maintain money, it's just going to go to the wayside and eventually you're going to find yourself back in the place that you were before. So it's kind of almost more of a curse than a blessing to have you know, a similar thing to winning the lottery is maybe you start this business and you have no idea what you're doing, but you get lucky. Well, there's a lot of benefit in learning how things work and whether it be how a business works or how money grows or how to treat money or whatever it is, you want to be careful uh, not to just rely on like a one hit wonder magic pill sort of situation.
1: Yeah, well, the, what reminded in that process, I usually talk about um, investing, right? Mm-hmm. And if, if the worst thing that could happen to somebody is for them to pick a stock, first time ever, just picking a stock and they invest in it and it doubles or triples, mm-hmm. right? because then they think that somehow it was their built-in knowledge or, or skill that mm-hmm. had them pick the right stock at the right time and double their money and what they don't learn is that that doesn't always happen um it was a lot of luck that went into that i'm sure they, they could have done a lot of research but most people don't they just kind of pick what they feel um and and because they didn't make a mistake they didn't really learn a lesson and it's those mistakes that people make and we all make them that really makes us more um more skillful uh, more knowledgeable uh, more experienced mm-hmm. than making the good decisions, making or, or getting lucky or, or something like that. So it all works together, but the mistakes actually drive the the
0: education forward. Mm-hmm. It's just like uh, another concept from thinking fast and slow is the confirmation bias. So, you know, if someone goes and picks a stock and then it, it you know, goes up a hundred percent in a year, they'll probably go, oh, I knew it. You know, I'm so good at picking stocks. This is easy. But what people have to realize and one of the most tangible things that I'll always remember is hearing about how, you know, most index funds can perform at or above the level of a mutual fund. And so just goes to show that these people that have studied stocks and have got all the education, they still have just as much trouble uh, in picking stocks as the average person would just throwing darts at a wall. And there's something called the efficient market hypothesis where all the information is already out there and everyone already has access to it. So um, I think that it's a very scary thing to think that just the average layperson would think that they would be able to go out and pick, you know, whatever stock is going to outperform another one due to anything besides just luck.
1: Right. And, but and that's what happens, right? The people just mm-hmm. think it's so easy because they'll look at, well, yeah. If they, and it's almost that hindsight. Is it a hindsight bias that we call it? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah, look, of course that happened. I knew mm-hmm. two years ago, I should have done. I should have invested in that company because clearly they were going to do well, and they did, and they did because I, for the exact same reason, I thought they would do well. Mm-hmm. Great. How many times, though, if you think about it, did you have a thought that didn't come true, but you didn't acknowledge that or shine a light on it, and therefore it's those those successes or the, the sorry, the, um, the 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 smart decision that you make that that you remember. Mm-hmm. You don't remember the times that you. Would have made a poor decision that could have drastically impacted you in a negative manner, uh, should you have gone through with that.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's like you know, people might invest in say Under Armour because they like Jordan Spieth or they like Steph Curry, and it's like you know, you can come up with all sorts of different reasons why you would do something, but the average person isn't going to go and look at you know uh, what is their what are their financials look like or what is anything else that is really the 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 guts of the business what does that look like and even if you were to do that look at someone like i mentioned warren buffett he spent the last i don't know 60 70 probably more years of his life just reading reports on companies and he's one of the few people that's time and time again been able to uh, pick stocks that outperform the market but look how much time he's invested into that and I think the much more simple thing to do is just do something like either find a professional who can help you get on to the route of success, or just what I do is I just invest in index funds because I am aware of things like the efficient market hypothesis and knowing that you can expect about this return year after year. Um, I think that that's just one of those things that should be taught, like like a, a good what's a good workout program i think that i wish that that was something that was more clear to people like earlier on in life like almost it was something you were taught in high school you know
1: right right good workout program good diet like what's mm-hmm. what is what is the the right thing to be doing right now and that there's mm-hmm. no right answer but there should be a a basic level like the least common denominator level of like do these things and you're mm-hmm. not going to be in bad shape mm-hmm. as long as you're doing those things you're not in bad shape If you wanna optimize, then we start talking about how to build on that strategy, how to build on that indexing strategy, what other tax implications, what kind of accounts, and, Mm -hmm. and how do we further diversify outside of what the market might say. But it doesn't mean that everybody has to do it that way. And if your goal isn't to do that, but more so focus on your savings, and make sure that you have a decent return over time and you know that your emotions aren't going to drive you to buy in or pull out when you are fearing either market swinging up or down, then that's fine. Focus elsewhere. Like, you know, pay for for a personal trainer because you value that kind of coaching better Mm than financial planner kind. Yeah, it's funny. Like,
0: I keep thinking of all these ways I mean, one of the reasons I reached out to you at first is because I see so many similarities in the, the fitness and personal finances. And it's like you, so like you said, there's a few big things that you can do on a regular basis to make sure you get most of the results. And it's kind of back to one of the things we talked about at the beginning. Like, what is the what is the saying? Imperfect action is better than perfect inaction. So, you know, if you just go to the gym four days a week, that's going to get you great results over time. And same thing with if you just invest any amount of money for any in in any way that makes it sustainable for you that's going to get you those results
1: yeah right it, yeah, it may not be the best but it's it's results that wouldn't have otherwise been had if you hadn't saved the money or invested the money to begin with mhm and then like the other thing i was thinking about is how i
0: something i try to talk about on the podcast is for people to be careful about just looking at scale weight as an indicator of if something's successful or not, because there's so many things that go into that. And I think that a parallel to that in finance is like try not to look at the day-to-day returns of a stock. It can make people crazy. If you know, you pick one or two stocks and then every day you're on um, whatever investing app you use and you're like, Oh my gosh, it went up 2% or down 2%. Should I sell? Should I get a different stock? Should I do this or that? You have to look at things on a really, really, um long time scale and it's the same thing with fitness where if you if you do the things that you should do you don't have to worry about if things are working out at a day-to-day basis because you know that it's going to work out for you in the long term.
1: Oh yeah, there's there's um a guy I don't know if you know a guy named Carl Richards he's um I think it's New York Times he writes a a small money segment he has a a picture he's like sketches this little picture mm-hmm. um and one of the ones that he has out there is a picture that has a, a very um jagged up and down kind of line that looks like some, like a heart monitor, right? You see that, that mm-hmm. kind of um, output and it says days. And then he has this other line. It's just a, an upward sloping line that goes straight up uh, or angled up at a 90 degree angle. Um, and it says decades, mm-hmm. right? Very simply put the market in it from you look at like a five day period, look at like anybody, if you go online, and, and search for the, the S&P 500. The SPY is, a, is an ETF, it tracks the S&P 500. Look at a five day period or a, a one month period and see how jagged that line looks. Mm-hmm, especially now. <laughs> especially now. And then look at something that is the same one, but look at it from like a max the max period, which is probably like 20, 25 years, mm-hmm. and look at the total beginning to end point in that slope. It's that kind of perspective that we need to have when it comes to investing. That's what's going to drive the results. If you stuck stick in the day to day, you're going to get so emotionally exhausted, both on a happy side and a a miserable side that you're never going to sustain that consistent investment over time. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that daily things happen, but our focus should be on that long-term result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another thing to think about is it seems kind of in line with our discussion of like,
0: so. Uh, generally they say you can make about 7% a year on average from an index fund. And maybe you can make the same, or maybe say that you're one of the outliers and you make seven and a half or 8% picking your own stocks. Well, is it, you have to think about, I, I remember, Uh, what I was tying this back to is like the hidden costs, you know? So if you're putting in all this time and you're having all this worry, is it really, what's the price of that extra half percent or 1% that probably you're not even going to get more likely it'll be the other side where you gain less. But even if you did think about is all that effort and all that toil emotionally going to be worth
1: it where something could just be automated so easily. Right. Well, putting yourself in a place where you can uh, have a chance of making mistakes versus not like the Mm -hmm. automated, just pick it, set it and forget it. There's not many mistakes that can be had as long as you have picked the right allocation for those index funds, right? That's the baseline there and then just let it go. Versus if if you are having to be on every day, day in and day out to make the right decisions, if you make just one wrong decision, you could destroy 10 years worth of right decisions, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a risk that you need to consider too remove the ability for you to make a bad choice and you're probably going to get a good result. Mm -hmm. So we're starting
0: to wrap up on time here, but I want to make sure I got to one of the other important questions I wanted to ask you, which was just that I think that, again, there's so much noise out there and I'm curious what what sort of advice you would give to someone who's 24. And so that's my age and age of a lot of people in my audience. And how do you balance things like a lot of people have debt from college, a lot of people would like to start investing, but feel like they don't have money. How do you balance things like investing versus savings? You know, all that, all the sort of decisions and groundwork that you have to lay in your twenties. How do you recommend that people go about that? And maybe what is some advice you'd give to yourself at this time, or just some of the common mistakes you think that people make?
1: Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. And it's one that I could, I could answer that for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's so many things, but a couple of key tenants I I would do is is number one, understanding yourself. And by understanding yourself, what you can do is is develop a list of values that you really connect with. And and one easy way to do that is to go search James Clear values, right? James Mm -hmm. Clear has this list of 52 values, potential values uh, on a website and go drill that down to five. And once you get to your five values, you set those aside. And as you're doing the planning for yourself financially and and goal setting, you have those values on the side to say, in a a case where you don't know which decision to make, look at your values and say, well, which decision would be tying into these values and which would not. So that's going to really help stabilize your decision-making process. But secondly, just looking at what your cash flow looks like, understanding what comes in and how it comes in. Is it a consistent salary? Do you make commissions? Is it variable? Understanding what that looks like on an annual basis. And then also understanding what goes out. And and what goes out is what you need to pay for versus what you wanna pay for. It's two different segments there. What you need to pay for can't really change, arguably, but what you wanna pay for, things like restaurants and travel and other things, that's very much a choice. So understand the two separations of needs versus wants there. And that's your cash flow. So you can then segment out any amount of money to start saving consistently over time. Like whatever amount you think you can save, bump it up a notch and save that and see how that goes and make adjustments from there. Um, and one easy way to do automate the savings is if you have a 401k at work, then just contribute to that 401k up until you hit the matching contributions from your employer if you have one, cause that's really easy money. You're getting 100% return on your money because your employer is putting in the same amount you are uh, based on your savings rate. Um, so that's that's a baseline way to go. But you talked about uh, how do I decide if I save or invest versus pay off mm-hmm. debt? And, and one of the key components there is always looking at your interest rate. Because if we're talking about credit card debt, it might be 17%, really might high. Be 25%. Yeah. Get rid of that debt ASAP probably before you save money outside of your, your emergency reserve account. Like that is just, that's going to go. Um, but if you're talking about student loans, they may be anywhere from, you know, three to, or two and a half to 9%. If they're two and a half to 5%, I would say they're not that bad from an interest rate perspective. So maybe you can pay those off on a normal basis, paying the minimums and you can save the rest. But if they're above 5%, it starts to be a, a really a, a challenge to say, well, if I don't pay this off and I invest the money, I may make that more than that in in the market, but I may mm-hmm. not. So, therefore, guaranteed, if you pay down the debt, you're gonna save money on that interest. So you have to balance it out from there. Um, but regardless, it's it's making a plan, sticking with that plan, reassessing every single quarter or year because the decision you make that is right today may not be the right answer tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love James Clear, too. I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. And I really
0: like that you said, um, well, first of all, I really like that you started with values. I think that's really important. It's something I try to talk about a lot. And it goes back to, kind of like we talked about at the beginning, what's important to you to spend money on is definitely very dependent on your values you know if you are someone who like i kind of mentioned at the beginning if you have a taste for the exquisite and you like to go out and have nice meals or you like to like so someone my age might really like to shop or spend money on nice clothes or something like that and if that thing's in value i encourage that like i have this discussion with my brother and my mom all the time they love to shop i'm like you never shop you never buy yourself new stuff and i'm like i just i could care less about that and so I think you have to be cognizant of what brings you value and not just saying, Oh, I'm going to go out and get this new, you know, brand of, you know, clothing or whatever it is just to show off to other people, but being secure and like, no, I like this. I'm going to treat myself. And um, going off the needs and wants. One of the things that I really like to do in my budget that I feel like has one of the biggest impacts is all um, I have like a category for entertainment and a category for like, groceries and home needs and i make sure to separate like going out to eat and buying things like beers you know i like to have craft beers every once in a while but i make sure to put going out to eat and beers in the entertainment category whereas like just food i'm going to eat on a daily basis in the in the food and home needs because i know that if things are ever tight these are things that i can easily cut Whereas, well, I'm gonna have to eat in some fashion. And then again, it kind of goes back to the more direct choices of like I mentioned at the beginning, am I getting steak this week? Am I getting ground beef? And just being able to pull little levers like that to refine things easily works out really well for me.
1: Oh yeah, 100%. If if your category is food, you can't segment out what is that needs groceries Mm -hmm. versus wants restaurants. So segment those out however you want, just get them apart so you can identify what you need to live want to do because you value certain things
0: mm-hmm. well, we're coming up on an hour here eric i really appreciate uh having you on it was a lot of fun and you want to let people know uh, anywhere you'd like to route them i can include some links like to your website and podcast
1: sure yeah i mean this was really great jake i, I appreciate talking to people that have a similar mindset and and for me um, Definitely. you very much do it's it's that um that long-term living intentionally with a long-term vision. I think Mm that sums it up really well. Um, And people can reach me at my website. I mean, we have a lot of information, whether it's a blog or a podcast. Uh, We have both, and you can find that on my my website, which is beyondyourhammock.com. The podcast name is Beyond Finances, where Kaylee and I, my wife, talk about how we use our money, how we spend on what we value, and how we do things differently than what you might find in traditional society. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Eric. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Jake.
0: Hey guys, it's Jake again. I'd like to ask you if you enjoy the podcast to take a quick second and subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps me out. And in addition, it'd be great if you would screenshot and share to your story. I'd love to reshare and have a conversation about what you thought about the podcast.